Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 146th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises, a digital forensics, managed cybersecurity, and managed information technology firm in Fairfax, Virginia. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is ITRC's 17th annual data breach report reveals near record number of breaches. Our guest is James E. Lee, the Chief Operating Officer of the Identity Theft Resource Center, otherwise known as the ITRC. A data protection and technology veteran, James is a former EVP and company secretary of Irish application security company Waratech and former SVP and Chief Marketing Officer for Atlanta-based data pioneer ChoicePoint, which is now LexisNexis. He also chaired two working groups for the American National Standards Institute, on identity management and privacy. Prior to joining ChoicePoint, James served as a global public affairs and communication executive at International Paper Company. It's great to have you back with us, James. Uh, It's great to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Well, we're delighted to have you, James. And since, as always, many folks are not familiar with the Identity Theft Resource Center, can you tell us a little bit about the organization and what its mission is before we get started on our discussion? Absolutely. Uh, The ITRC is a 20-plus-year-old nonprofit based in San Diego, California, and we basically have two primary missions. The first one is to provide free assistance to the victims of identity crimes. So uh, we can assist somebody whose identities have been stolen or uh, compromised if they've been misused. Uh, We provide those services uh, free of charge. The second part of our mission is education, and that extends to not just consumers, but also to businesses and government institutions, academic institutions, other organizations to help prevent people from becoming identity, the victims of identity crimes, as well as understand the trends and the dynamics of the crimes themselves, because they're always changing. So we do a lot of research around those topics to make sure we're staying on top of the latest trends uh, that could impact individuals and businesses. Well, well James, how, how many years has, has the ITRC published its, its annual report? And, and over that, that those time periods, and many years I'm sure it is, has its mis- mission or what it covers changed over time? It absolutely has. You know, we, we published our first data breach report in 2006. You know, 2005 was really the first year that data breaches kind of came into our popular lexicon, right? And there was a number of breaches that year that made it into the media for the first time. And we've published those this report every year since. So this is our 17th report uh, based on what occurred in 2022. And over the time, uh, the report has changed as well as the dynamics of data breaches have changed. You know, when, when we first started this back in, in 2005 and collecting the data 2006 when we published it, I was uh, a board member at that time. I had just joined the ITRC. And most of the incidents that were publicly reported and were uh, that required a, a data breach notice under state law, most of those involved paper. 
I mean, they, we were we were still very much in an analog world, if you think about it. It was because somebody left a file out that was stolen or it may have been misplaced, but in some way data was exposed. Um, it could have been dumpster diving. Remember dumpster diving? That was oh, a big yeah. deal. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and I can't tell you how many times somebody left their laptop at the, at the uh, TSA gates uh, as they went through right after the end of the machine, they'd say, oh, I cleared security. And they'd walk off and leave their laptop, which was <laughs> unencrypted. So all of the data on that laptop, that was, the, that was really the first time we saw digital information being exposed was because somebody left their laptop at security at the airport. Now, let's fast forward to today where, you know, instead of a majority of data breaches involving paper, now a majority involves cyber attacks directly cyber attacks. And within that, there's three primary causes of a cyber attack that lead to a data breach. The number of times an actual piece of paper causes a data breach notice, we're rapidly approaching you know, low double digits. We'll, at some point, we may very well get to single digits on, on that kind of an attack. We still see lost laptops. We still see lost um, thumb drives and things of that nature. There's still data tapes that get sent around from time to time. Those still get lost. But for the most part, we're, we don't see the physical kind of attack that we saw nearly 20 years ago now. I feel like you've taken us through a time warp here, but, but you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember 20 years ago, you know, we, we've come a long way, baby, huh? Uh, so in this report this year, what was the single most important finding in your judgment? I think the thing that we found this year, uh, it was actually a trend that started in late 2021, but it certainly came into full view in 2022. And that is the fact that we don't know the primary cause of data breaches. And that's something we have not seen before. Historically, if you go back all the way back to 2005, most of the data breach notices included information that would tell us what happened and why and what was done to prevent that from happening again. In this report, that's not true. In fact, if you looked at just, let's go back just five years ago, you would see 98%, 99%, 100% of data breach notices giving attack details. In 2022, that dropped to only 58%. So for the first time, the number, number one root cause of a data breach is not specified. So as a category, that's very troubling. We're not getting the information. We think we know why, but there's never any one factor. There's always multiple factors. But uh, a lot of it has to do with just some very practical elements. They're not required to say that in a data breach notice in many states. So even though they have organizations have volunteered that information historically, now they're following the very strict letter of their state's law. So you're seeing less information that way. You're seeing it as a matter of, of, a, of just corporate policy. We're not going to share that information because it could at some point result in litigation from shareholders, result in litigation from uh, the data subjects, or they just don't believe it is in their corporate best interest to do it. So they're not doing it because they're not required to do it. Well, they made headlines all the time. They, they didn't like making the headlines, that's for sure. 
That is absolutely true. And we also think that there's still a significant number of organizations that are making the decision not to issue a data breach notice at all. Because remember, in the U.S., because we're data breach notices are, are creatures of state law, not federal law. Right, right. So there's no uniformity. Uh, and most states don't require any outside review of the decision to issue a notice or not. So there's only a, there's only a couple of states that do. So Oregon, for example, it's a it's a joint decision between law enforcement and the organization that was attacked. But every other state, it allows the organization who lost control of the information to decide is there risk. If there is risk to the individuals who's who is the data subject, then then they have to issue a notice. But if that organization decides there is no risk, then there is no notice. So we have a disparity around uh, the number of bre- uh, breach notices in their entirety that over over time is becoming more obvious that attacks are going up, but somehow breaches aren't staying in sync. So there's, there's a lot of dynamics around this year's reports and the information because you're seeing a very different approach in this last year to issuing data breach notices. Well, James, a little bit deeper into the actual the actual numbers, the, the number of victims from from twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two. I assume that twenty twenty two is a was was an increase. It seems to be everything, right? The the ransomware attacks are going up, the breaches are going up. I assume the number of victims has has, has gone up. But how how much has that number changed? And do you have an explanation for the, that increase? Yeah, that's it's a fascinating dynamic. We, we actually came close to setting an all-time high again this year, but we, we missed it by about 60. If you, if you look at how the data breaches, which is never really a pattern that you can discern year to year, but last year there was very clearly a pattern during the year, and that was we started out high with a lot of attacks. We, dr- we dipped through the middle of the year, and then we came on strong at the end of the year. But in terms of victims, we saw a steady decline all year long until December. <laughs> and most of the victim counts. So if we look at the number of attacks, there was 1,802 data breach notices, 1,802 compromises. And that compares to 1,862 the year before. And that was the all-time high. But if you look at victims, there are two breaches that account for more than 50% of the number of victims. So there are 422 estimated number of victims. So we say estimated because we know there's not 422 million Americans, especially not adult Americans. So there's duplication in there, but we don't know how much. But 422 individuals received notices this past year. But 221 million of that was because of Twitter. And that happened in in December. (laughs) So if we had Twitter had a really bad year, yeah. even though yeah. it was shut down for a period of time. Yeah. You know, so, you know, sometimes when it rains, it pours and uh, the, the, it was not Twitter's year in, in, in many respects. And th- there were also two other account, two other breaches that accounted for a, a significant chunk of what remained. So if we, if we look at, there was like 200 million roughly victims. If you X out Twitter, well, there's still another 90 million of those that are response that are you know, directly tied to two breaches. One at an organization called Neopets, which probably most people don't remember. Uh, I know my kids played with Neopets when they 
pets when they were young. They were the little toys that you had to do something to it to keep it alive. You know, it was it was just a digital toy. And they'd walk around with it. And it had made noises. It was really obnoxious. And they'd tell my daughter, <laughs> would you tur- turn that thing off, you know? Um, but that data's been sitting there all these years. <laughs> so all these these people who are now adults in many cases, if not all cases, all of a sudden their data was breached. And they're going, I didn't remember that I had an account with Neopets. So that, that, that accounts for a significant number. Um, that was 69 million victims there. But there was another one that was uh, 22 million, almost almost 23 million, and that was AT&T data. Now, I have said AT&T data because AT&T said they didn't have a breach. They said, yes, that's our data, but no, it didn't come from us. It must have come from some other third party who has access to our information. We just don't know whom. So. <laughs> That's a little uh, AT- scary. <laughs> yeah, well, and this is a this is again, this is one of those circumstances where AT&T says, "We're not issuing a data breach notice. We we don't have a legal obligation to do so, so we're not going to." The only reason we know about the breach was because of cybersecurity researchers who found the data in a in an identity marketplace. So, those 22.7 million people do not know directly that their information was compromised because no one uh, no one notified them. So, that's that's again, that's one of those little quirks in the system that we really need to start paying attention to in ways we have not historically. So, victims trended down x those those three really large breaches. The other thing about victims, it's interesting this year is it's two parts, and that is the number of supply chain attacks really shot up. Now, if you don't know what a supply chain attack, that's where a cyber criminal will go and they'll look for a small vendor of a larger organization, or they'll look for a small vendor that has hundreds of companies in their portfolio of business. So they have the data of hundreds of companies. And that's what you saw targeted in big ways this year. Some of the largest accounts were healthcare organizations because they have dozens and hundreds of vendors. And so those, those healthcare organizations were at, uh, vendors were attacked and they got all of the information, the patient information that they held. So those were big numbers, 3.7 million in one case, 3.3 million in another case, 3 million in another. There was one just announced this week in February of 2023 that actually occurred in December of 2022, but they just they just announced the, the number of victims and the actual breach that occurred this year. Another large health system in the state of California th- with you know more than 3 million victims. So the, this idea of finding a small organization attack one time, but get dozens to hundreds of organizations' data really coming to the forefront as an attack, uh, as a method of attack. And we saw that in 2022. We're already seeing that trend that we saw last year continuing into 2023. So by the time we get to the end of this year, we'll probably be having another conversation about supply chain attacks. Last thing I'll say about that one is, um, for the first time, supply chain attacks surpassed malware as an attack method. So we talked about earlier about how it used to have paper and, and how over time data breaches have changed. We don't see paper breaches much anymore. 
malware, what we traditionally think of as the cause of a, of a, of a, of a data breach or of, of a cyber attack, that there's, there's some sort of malware involved. It's, it's malicious software or you're, you're exploiting a vulnerability in software. We're seeing those number of attacks dwindle down. Um, there were, out of the 1,800 roughly data breach notices last year, only 70 were related to malware. Now, that compares to 117 supply chain attacks. Those malware attacks um, uh, impacted a couple of million people. The supply chain attacks, more than 10 million people impacted. So when it comes to supply chain attacks, the thing we have to remember that it's so easy for uh, an identity criminal to attack one organization and get the data from dozens to hundreds, they're going to do that every time. It's low risk, it's high return for them, and we're going to see more of that. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is ITRC's 17th Annual Data Breach Report reveals near-record number of breaches. Our guest is James E. Lee, the Chief Operating Officer of the Identity Theft Resource Center, otherwise known as the ITRC. A data protection and technology veteran, James is the former EVP and company secretary of Irish application security company Weratech and former SVP and chief marketing officer for Atlanta-based data pioneer ChoicePoint, now LexisNexis. Well, James, I know in our first segment, you talked to, about the, the data breach notices and how they're, they're starting to lack some, some details. Can you give us a little more information about why some of that, ha- you, you talked a little bit about why that happened, but a little more on that and, and what specifically are the implications uh, of that since we don't have so many details anymore? Yeah, it's, it's really a fascinating circumstance that we find ourselves. One of the reasons why this is happening is we've had a number of federal court decisions around the country that basically say if you cannot show actual harm of a data breach, then you cannot, you don't have standing. So uh, as a result, there are organizations that are making the decision that uh, either we're not going to issue a data breach notice, or if we do, we're not going to include more information than we're required because we don't want to, we basically don't want to do discovery for potential plaintiffs 
in our data breach notice. So that's that's a that is a, a driver that a number of organizations we've all come to the same conclusion. The risk here, though, is not so much to individuals but to businesses, because other organizations are subject to the same kinds of attacks. But if we don't have good information sharing, they don't get the information necessary necessary to to uh, prepare for a similar attack if they have similar data, if they're a similar organization, or just they have uh, similar technology systems. They need the information about what other organizations have seen when they're attacked so they can prepare. If we don't have that in data breach notices, if we don't have that in other information sharing forums, which we don't, um, then it puts those organizations at risk, which ultimately puts all of us at risk because the data continues to be compromised as a result of organizations are not prepared well. Thank you, uh, James. Well, what were the statistics for 2022 regarding data breaches and exposure to unprotected cloud databases? That's a very cool part of this report is we're seeing a steady decline in the number of cloud databases and cloud systems being uh, both attacked and also people just frankly forgetting to put uh, the password on the cloud database. We saw high numbers several years ago. Now we're seeing far fewer compromises caused that way. So when you think of it, just a few years ago, we had uh, nearly 100 and 200 in some cases data breaches resulted from somebody not preparing their cloud security correctly because they thought the cloud provider was going to do that for them. They thought it was going to be Amazon. They thought it was going to be Oracle. They thought it was going to be Microsoft. Now everybody knows that's not true. So we're seeing that steady decline. In fact, we're almost but not quite into the single digits in terms of the number of compromises you can draw directly to an unsecured cloud environment. We are in single digits, by the way, if it comes to a cyber attack, but we're not quite there in those that are just compromised where somebody, the, the data is exposed, but it hasn't been stolen. So, so James, what, what about physical attacks, though? Um, and, you know, for the benefit of our, our listeners, if you could define that term, did they have a, a downward trend in, in that regard? We do. We have a downward trend uh, in physical attacks. You know, we were still, we talked about, you know, when we were, if we were having this conversation 15 years ago, that'd be the majority of the kinds of attacks. Last year, we had 46 out of, out of the 1800. And when you, when you think of it, a, a physical attack is exactly what it sounds like. There's something tangible. It's not, it's not a, an electron. It's not a, it's not some form of a digital asset. This is a physical thing you can touch, you can feel. It's a document. It's a device. Um, it's somebody took a document or a device and they didn't dispose of it correctly. Those are physical attacks. And we saw the highest uh, number within that category was device theft. So there again, you know, that's somebody was stealing something that was tangible to get data at. Those have been trending down for you know, the last 10 years. They're going to continue to trend down. They'll never get to zero, but we will see very low numbers in that. Same thing with system and human errors. We're getting much better at dealing with the kinds of issues that cause 
either a compromise or a cyber attack because of something that we do as humans or uh, our systems, uh, they fail. Because every, everything fails at one time or another. But those numbers are getting lower and lower over time. Well, before we move on to our last segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is ITRC's 17th Annual Data Breach Report reveals near-record number of breaches. Our guest is James E. Lee, the Chief Operating Officer of the Identity Theft Resource Center, otherwise known as the ITRC. So are we, are we getting the reports we used to get? Um, what, what's going on with all of this, and what are the implications, uh, if you would, please, James? Sure. We, we've always wondered if we're getting all the, the breaches, people are receiving the notices that the, of the breaches that occur. And some of that goes back to, we talked about earlier about, you know, the way the state laws are structured, that every state has a different definition. So what may be no, uh, require a notice in one state may not require a notice in the state next door, as a matter of fact, or the, same, or the kind of data that qualifies as being the trigger point is going to vary from state to state. Generally speaking, we're, we're of the belief that there are more data breaches occurring than data breach notices being issued. If there are 1,800 compromises last year, that works out to be about seven per business day in the United States. Now, let's contrast that to Europe with the, their, their privacy and their data security laws, which on this point are not too dissimilar from the U.S. except for one, one, one thing, and that is who you notify. If it's seven a day in the U.S., it's 350 a day in the European Union. Now, that doesn't mean consumers get that information, but that all-important information about how, how cyber attacks are occurring that lead to data breaches, that information is being reviewed, it's being generated, and it's available uh, to share with other organizations to protect themselves uh, because you have to notify a government agency. And then that government agency determines, does a consumer have to be notified? So we're, we're confident that there's a lot more that can be done to protect both businesses and individuals if we had a more robust and uniform data breach law. Well, James, you gave us a, a, a little bit of your predictions uh, in, in the in the first two segments, but uh, it's crystal ball time. What, what do you predict uh, we're going to see as, as part of the 2023 report? Well, I've learned a long time ago that my crystal ball is kind of fuzzy. <laughs> 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 and, I, and I probably need to change the batteries. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think it's pretty clear, you know, absent some, some other circumstance that we don't know about today, we're going to see 
more supply chain attacks this year. We're going to see a return to the ordinary course of business with ransomware. We had a little dip last year because of the of the conflict in Ukraine, but now the cyber crime groups has kind of worked out their their workload and they're back to their almost business as usual. <laughs> Work from so, home. <laughs> yeah, they're all they're all working from home now. Um, so I think we'll we'll see ransomware return and we're going to we it's highly likely we will see another year of 1800 plus perhaps higher uh, data breach notices just based on what we're seeing so far and that impact because of the supply chain the nature of a supply chain attack with a lot more victims than what we've seen over the last few years. Well, I certainly enjoyed the entire podcast, but I, I enjoyed our conversation pre-podcast, too. When we were talking about what, what was a, a threat 20 years ago versus now, and it certainly has all changed a lot. But this was very engaging to learn about how the statistics have changed and why. And I think it's kind of alarming, and I, I'm sure our listeners do, too, that we're not reporting nearly as much as we were. Uh, I understand the reasons, but I don't necessarily think it serves uh, everybody well. But we'll see how that turns out. Thank you so much for being with us today, James. It's been a, a great pleasure and very, very instructive. Uh, Sharon, John, it is always a pleasure to talk to you. And I look forward to this conversation about uh, 12 months from now. <laughs> <laughs> see whether you got it right, huh? <laughs> well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, managed technology, and managed cybersecurity services at SENSEIENT.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.